So last week we started a new sermon series we're calling A Devoted Community or Devoted Community. And we're spending the next five weeks really just orbiting around this same passage in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, with a goal of really getting at and helping to, helping to know what it means to be the kind of church God calls us to be. Last Sunday, Andy got us started by talking about the fact that these early believers were devoted to the apostles' teaching. They built their lives and faith on the message of Jesus and the scriptures. So if we want to be the type of church we believe God is calling us to be, then we have to be a people of the book. We have to be people who know the Bible, people who live the Bible and people who love the Bible, not because we worship this book, but because we worship the God this book reveals. This week, in addition to showing us that this early church was devoted to the apostles' teaching, I also want us to see that they were devoted to community, devoted to community. They, they were devoted to one another. Your Bible notes this in verse 42 when it says, they devoted themselves to the fellowship. The word translated there as fellowship is the Greek word koinonia, which really is one of those Greek words that we don't have a great English word for because it has a range of meanings. Most often it's translated in your Bible as fellowship. But some other translations are partnership, as in Philippians 1.6, when Paul says that he thanks God always for the Philippians church because of their partnership, koinonia, in the gospel. Another translation is sharing, as in 2 Corinthians 8.4, when Paul writes or says of the Macedonian churches, they begged us earnestly for the privilege of sharing, koinonian, in the ministry of the saints. And sometimes still we find a translation of participation as in Philemon 1.6, when Paul says, I pray that your participation, koinonia, in the faith may become effective. But most importantly of, of all, this same word is used both of our, our relationship with other believers and our relationship with God. Note 1 John 1, 3, we, what we have seen and heard, we also declare to you so that you may also have fellowship, koinonia, with us, and indeed, our, and indeed our fellowship, the same word, is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. So when Luke writes that these early Christians were devoted to the fellowship, he's telling us much more than that they simply saw each other at church on Sundays. He's telling us much more than they shared a meal in the fellowship hall every once in a while together. He's telling us that they were devoted to one another, one another deeply and intimately, intentionally, and generously. And as we look at our text this morning, I want us, want us to notice three things about this community. First, that it was a believing community. Second, that it was a benevolent community. And third, that it was a belonging community. Believing, benevolent, and belonging. First, this was a believing community. Verse 44 says, now all the believers were together and held all things in common. And in another summary description of the early church in Acts 4.32, Luke records, now the entire group of those who believed were of one heart and mind. Why do I take the time to point out something that should be so obvious to us, the fact that this group of believers believed in Jesus? Because you don't get a group who holds all things in common. 
You don't get a group of people who are of one heart and mind without Jesus. You see, this type of community doesn't just happen. It takes a supernatural work to produce a community like this. And this is what we see happen in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost when Peter preaches his, his message of the gospel. The people are wrecked by it. And they ask, what should we do? Peter says, repent and be baptized, each of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So Acts 2, 42 through 47 is this is a snapshot of what happens to a group of people when Jesus interrupts their lives and the Holy Spirit comes into them and transforms their heart. And what do we see? We see that their new faith in Jesus became the central and controlling reality of their lives. And we see that this new faith was a deeply corporate one. One of the clear conclusions you can reach by just reading over these verses is that the early church saw that that community was essential to following Jesus. They knew they needed each other and their whole lives orbited around this newly formed church community. That's maybe what I'm most caught by when I read this passage, the all-consuming nature of this community's faith in Jesus. These believers didn't meet Jesus and say, thank you, Jesus. I really like the idea of heaven. Now I'm going to go and live my life. I'll see you in 50 or 60 years. No, their belief in Jesus shaped the way they lived completely. It changed them from the inside out. It changed their priorities. It changed the rhythms of their lives. It changed their finances. It changed their schedules. They were not the same people as they were before. They were different. I just wonder if that is our experience. Imagine your, your heart is a home for a moment. When Jesus comes into a heart, he doesn't just slap some paint on the exterior, put some new furniture inside and say, hey, you're good, keep going. No, he takes the bulldozer of the Holy Spirit and he bulldozes over the entire house we've been building to ourselves. And then he builds a whole new house with him as the foundation. I'm not saying that sanctification isn't a process. I'm not saying that becoming more like Jesus isn't a journey, it is. But the gospel does and should radically change our lives. Jesus isn't in the business of reform or reforming people. He's in the business of transforming people. That's why 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, therefore, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. Behold, the old has gone, the new has come. But the gospel doesn't just create new individuals. It creates new communities. And we see that here in Acts 2. So what does a Jesus-believing, Holy Spirit-transforming, gospel-saturated community look like? Well, it looks like a group of people that hold all things in common. And while there's certainly a physical, material aspect to this, as we'll just see in a couple verses, there's also a spiritual reality to it. And I think chapter four, verse 32, gets at this when it tells us this group of believers were of one heart and mind. Can you imagine that? A community where everyone is of one heart and mind? Don't you long to be a part of a community like that? Did you know that the church, the church is supposed to be like that? It's supposed to be a community that is set apart by sacrificial love for one another. 
A community where I honor and celebrate my brother and sister's gifts and accomplishments rather than envy them. A community where grace and mercy are extended to a struggling sister rather than shame. A community where sin is continually brought into the light through honest confession rather than hidden in the dark. A community where people from different races and genders and cultures and socioeconomic backgrounds look at each other as equal members of the same family. A community utterly devoted to one another because their allegiance to Jesus as Lord far transcends their allegiance to any political messiahs or any other earthly thing. Don't you long for a community like that? On Sunday afternoon, Pastor Andy was teaching and training our city group leaders. He asked this question, what would a culture like that feel like in a group? And Darla Riddle had the best answer. She said, it would feel like a place where I could exhale. Isn't that good? That gospel culture, gospel community is a place where we can exhale. You should be able to walk into this church or walk into your group and exhale and say, I'm okay. I'm okay to not be okay. I'm safe here to be a sinner. I'm okay to be weary here. I'm okay to be myself here. The church and community with other believers should be a place where we can exhale. Does it feel like that? I know it doesn't for some of us. But this morning I'm trying to paint a picture for what it's supposed to be. C.S. Lewis's description of what it's like to find a friend gets at this feeling some. He says that friendship is born at that moment when one person says to another, what, you two? I thought I was the only one. That's the feeling that often comes with experiencing real community for the first time. What, you two? I thought I was the only one. I thought I was the only one who felt that way. I thought I was the only one who struggled with that sin. I thought I was the only one who wanted to talk about deeper things than the news, weather, and sports. I thought I was the only one who wanted, who felt alone. I thought I was the only one who really wants to love Jesus, even though it's so hard in our culture. I thought I was the only one. I remember the first time that I experienced this kind of community, this kind of friendship. In high school, I had a good group of friends. They were great guys. I loved them. I'm still on a fancy football group text with them. They're probably texting me right now. Um, they're good guys. I love them. But we really just talked about sports, girls, movies, some things that are okay at times, but it was, it was, we didn't go under the surface. But I just thought that's what friendship was. And then I went to college at the University of Arkansas, Wupig, and I met, the first day I was there, I didn't know who, I didn't know what kind of friends I was gonna have. I didn't know what kind of community I was gonna have. No one was going to the university that I was friends with. But the first day I met my RA, Josh Casey. And Josh, I don't know how to say it otherwise, he was just a guy who was fully alive. Have you met someone like that? Someone who's just fully alive. And we hit it off on the first. We laughed, we joked, there were man challenges the first night in the dorm. But then we went to a so, an ice cream social with one of the girls' floors. And I noticed that Josh had a tattoo on the inside of his arm. And I asked him about it. And he told me that it was the words that were above Jesus' cross. And Josh, if you know him, would make fun of me when he tells the story. He would, he would make it sound like a rom-com meet cute. But he would say that when I saw this and he starts talking to me about Jesus, I go, are you a believer? Like there's no other believers in Fayetteville, but there are. 
But I said, are you a believer? And he's like, yeah, man. And he introduced me to his friend, Jake. And Jake and Josh taught me what friendship was like. They taught me that you could be raw with each other, that men could cry with each other, that we could confess sin and be vulnerable with each other, that we could talk about Jesus and we could say, I love you to each other. And it changed my life. Finding real community will change you. Experiencing real community with other believers changes you. You know how once you've tasted and seen that Jesus is good, you can never go back to anything less than that? It's the same thing with community. When you get a taste of authentic, believing Christian community, you can't really ever go back. And that's what we want for every single person who calls City Life Church home. But this kind of community is not just a felt reality. It's a lived reality. What I mean is that real Christian community is not simply a theological idea. It's something that is demonstrated and seen by how other believers care for one another. So this early church was not only a believing community, but it was also a benevolent community. We see this in verse 45. Luke writes, they sold their possessions and property and distributed, distributed the proceeds to all as any had needs. Let's be clear from the jump here. What's being described in Acts chapter two is not some sort of forced mandate. It's not also a everyone sells everything at once situation. There's nothing supernatural or loving about being forced to do something. No, this was willing, voluntary, sacrificial love in action. It was supernatural generosity that is supposed to be true of every Christian community. This is why faith without works is dead. James 2, 15 through 17 says that if a brother or sister is without clothes and lacks daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, stay warm and be well fed, but you don't give them what the body needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith, if it doesn't have works, is dead by itself. Where real faith in Jesus is present in a community, sacrificial love and care for one another always follows. It always follows. Listen, if we wanna be this type of church, if you want our city groups to be these kinds of communities, then it costs something. But it will not only cost us financially, as we see here in Acts 2, as they give financially to the church and to one another, but it will also cost us convenience. Real Christian community is often inconvenient because it means loving one another and caring for one another during the good, the bad, and the ugly moments of our lives. And those moments are almost always unplanned and inconvenient. Emily and I experienced this kind of sacrificial love and care a couple of week, weeks ago during one of our unplanned moments of life. We thought we were gonna have a nice quiet evening at home, but it ended with Emily being in the ER all night long. Emily's totally fine now. She doesn't want this story about her. She's totally fine now. But those unplanned moments in life are particularly challenging for us because we don't have any family in town. But we do have a church family. And as Emily drove herself to the hospital, I stayed with the kids and I immediately messaged our elders and our city group and asked them to pray. Within seconds, Pastor Andy Atkinson, my brother from another mother, called me and said, what do you need? Do you want Melanie to come there and stay with the kids or do you want her to go to the hospital? You know how thankful I am for that second question? 
You see, when you're in a crisis, often you don't know what you need because you can't think straight. So the fact that he gave me two tangible ways that Melanie and he could serve us mattered. I stayed to do bedtime with the kids while Melanie went to sit with Emily at the hospital. Side note, everyone needs a Melanie Atkinson with them when they're in the ER. Because if you don't know, Melanie Atkinson don't play. Especially when it comes to advocating for people she loves. And she loves Emily. So once I got my kids in bed and knew that Emily was going to be at the hospital for a while, I knew I wanted to be with her. So I called Joel Dolliff to see if Callie could come stay at the house to be with the kids. And you know where the Dolliffs were when I called them? Almost to the hospital. Why? Because Joel got my text a little bit later and he couldn't get a hold of me, so he just started driving to the hospital. That's something else that real community does. Even if they don't know what you need in your unplanned moment, real community tries to be present with you. So Emily ended up being all right, and Callie stayed at our house well past midnight that night. But we saw the love, sacrificial love in our church in one more way the following day. Emily had to be on a liquid diet for a couple of days and without any sort of prompting from us or any sort of coordinating with each other, four beloved ladies from the church showed up at our house the next day with smoothies and soup and coffee. The love of these women, the prayers of our city group and the care of our church overwhelmed us. That's what sacrificial love does. That's what it, that's what it looked like in one of our unplanned moments of life. But why would people who are not family care for each other in such a way? Because as Rebecca McLaughlin says, you see, the church is not just like a family, it is a family. Our first identity as followers of Jesus is not biological, it's theological. That's a heavy statement. And some of us need to wrestle with it. It's not that church is like a family, in Christ we are a family. If I'm honest, friends, I think in general, and Christians have a small view of the church today. A small view of what the church is and what our lives are supposed to be. How, how it's supposed to affect our lives. The New Testament uses really lofty language to describe the identity of the church. Paul says this to the church at Ephesus. So then you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household, God's family built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. In him, the whole building being put together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together for God's dwelling in the spirit. I wonder if that's how we view the church this morning. Friends, the believers sitting next to you in the rows next to you, the believers sitting around you, whether you've ever met them, whether you've ever had a conversation with them or not, they are your brothers and sisters. They are your family. They are members of the body of Christ with you. You are more connected, more united, and according to the scriptures, more glorious together than you could possibly imagine. That is a spiritual fact. That is why it's such a travesty when there's division in the church, when there's unforgiveness in the church, and when the church gets placed on the back burner of our spiritual lives. Because Jesus said that our oneness, our unity and love and care for one another was actually one of the central ways that people in the world come to believe in him. 
In John 17, 23, Jesus prayed for us that we would be one as he and the Father are one. He prayed, I am in them and Father, you are in me so that they may be made completely one, that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved me as you, have loved them as you have loved me. Our sacrificial love and care for one another not only matters to us spiritually in the joys and trials of life, but it's also a testimony to the unbelieving world that Jesus is real and that he loves them. The early church was a benevolent community that cared for one another when any need arose, no matter how costly or inconvenient it was. They gave joyfully and willingly. Why? Because Jesus had given everything for them. See, Life Church, we are called to be this kind of community. Finally, the church in Acts 2 was a belonging community. What I mean by calling them a belonging community is that for them, church was not something they did. You, you get what I'm saying? That Church wasn't something they did. It wasn't an event that they attended once or twice a week. It wasn't just a time on their schedules. For them, church was a people they belonged to. Notice the language in verses 46 and 47. Every day, they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Don't you love that description? I know I keep asking it, but don't you wanna be a part of a community like that? Do you long for it? The first thing that probably catches your eyes is the frequency that Luke says they gathered together. He tells us they were together every day. And some of you are getting scared. Brett's about to add daily programs tonight, Brett and Andy. <laughs> they were together daily, worshiping together, praying together, teach, uh, uh, eating together, and sharing life together. And we we're told that joy and sincerity marked their time together. A verse that comes to mind for me is 1 Thessalonians 2.8, when Paul writes to the church at Thessalonica, we cared so much for you that we were pleased to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives. Because of what Jesus had done in them, this community cared so much for one another that they were delighted to not only rehearse the gospel together, but also to share their very lives with one another. Hey, it should strike us that one day 3,000 people were saved by grace through faith in Jesus. And the very next thing we're told is they started spending a ton of time together, worshiping and praying. And a lot of that time was in smaller groups, in homes, eating together and enjoying life together. If you're looking for a biblical proof text on is our small groups biblical, here it is. Call it whatever you want, but we all need community. Why? Because we were made for it. We serve a God who has dwelled in perfect community, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit for all eternity. And who back in the garden in Genesis 2 said, it is not good for man to be alone. That was true back then. It was true for this Christian community and it's true for us today. We all need it. And whether we would admit it or not, we all long for it. A place and a people to belong to. Dane Ortland gave words to this longing when he wrote, we, we were made to be together, to speak to each other, to share our hearts, to laugh together, to co-enjoy a beautiful flower, 
We pant for bonded spirits, for a bonded spirit with others, for shared hearts, for togetherness. Often our, our, our idolatrous pursuits through sexual immorality, overindulgence in alcohol or social media platform building are all simply misplaced longings for human fellowship. If we trace those heart eroding pursuits down to their source, we would find among other things simply an absence of real Christian fellowship. We all need real Christian fellowship. But can I tell you at least one of the reasons that many of us don't experience it? It's because we impose our wish dream on any potential community we find. Dietrich Bonhoeffer is so helpful here. He says, every human wish dream that is injected into the Christian community, community is a hindrance to genuine community and must be banished if genuine community is to survive. He who loves his dream of community more than the Christian community itself becomes a destroyer of the latter, even though his personal intentions may be ever so honest, earnest, and sacrificial. Often, it is our dream of the ideal community that keeps us from experiencing the very real community that's right in front of us. Do, you, do we hear that? Having an incredible past experience of community is a good thing. Having an ideal for what community should be is not a bad thing. But when we take those ideals and those wish dreams and we impose them on a church or a city group, it might just inhibit us from seeing the good, not perfect, but real people in front of us who are ready to share their lives for us, with us. This is why when I talk with people about city groups, I'll tell them the vision is not that these people will all necessarily become your best friends. I hope that happens for you and oftentimes groups do become dear friends. But you can share real, authentic, joy-filled brother and sister relationships with people who are not your best friends and we need them. Finally, let's make sure we remember that this early church was not perfect. This wasn't some utopia where everyone was always smiling and singing kumbaya together. You only have to read a few more chapters to see some crazy things they start to experience, some prejudice and bias that starts to divide them. But the key for them is that they were devoted to one another through the good and the bad and the ugly of life. The word translated as devoted in Acts 2 can mean to persist in, to persevere in, and continue steadfast in. And if we're going to be this kind of church, where people experience this kind of community, it's going to take love that persists, that perseveres, that continues steadfast in. I gave the whispering part. Let me say this to a few people in the room today. Some of you are resistant to community because you've been hurt before. You've been hurt in a church or a community. You've been hurt by a leader or a, a, a friend. And you go, no, Brett, I've tried it. I've, I've got the scars. I've wrote the story. I, I, I know it all. I'm not going back. I want you to know that if that's your story, I'm sorry. We're sorry. Andy and I would love to sit down with you and hear your story. This is not a perfect church we potentially might hurt you too someday. But we're gonna love you like Jesus, the best of our ability, imperfectly, honestly, pointing to the scriptures, 
And friends, don't let what's happened in the past keep you from what God wants for you today. Don't let one bad experience make you throw out the whole body of Christ. But your pain is real. I want you to hear that. As we close, let me just say this about our city groups. It's not an accident that if you read through Acts 2, 42 through 47, you'll find our three regular rhythms that our groups orbit around. First, word and prayer. In our groups, we devote ourselves to the apostle teaching through sermon discussions and through praying for each other inside and outside a group. Two, fellowship. In our groups, we share our lives and stories with one another. We confess our sins to one another and enjoy vulnerable relationships with one another. And three, hospitality. This is the enjoying favor with all people and every day the Lord added to their number those who are being saved, part of the passage. In City Group, we pray for the lost. We support one another as, we, as they share Jesus with others. And we create spaces for outsiders to come into our homes and to break bread for us. This is what we're aiming at at City Life Church and our groups, to be a church and community that is devoted to Jesus first and foremost that sacrificially cares for one another with our time, talent, and treasure, even when it's inconvenient, and to be a family you can belong to. We have several Jesus-loving, imperfect leaders who are multiplying or starting new groups this semester, and they desire to create this kind of space for you. It doesn't happen overnight, but they desire it. You need it more than you know. Will you take a step of faith and lean into this community that God is building at City Life Church. Pray with me.